Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A historic meeting between House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen. What the two vow to do as China threatens to retaliate. In U.S. domestic politics, world leaders weighing in on the former president's appearance in a Manhattan court yesterday. Meanwhile, GOP lawmakers continued to probe the DA on why he filed the charges alleging federal crimes. Tornadoes are tearing through the central United States. At least five people were killed in Missouri, while Illinois and Iowa report property damage. And a North Carolina lawmaker is switching parties, and her new party now has a supermajority in the state. Find out why she switched. Defying threats from China, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy meets with President Tsai Ing-wen of Taiwan in California. And lawmakers from both sides of the aisle come together to voice support. NTD's Iris Tao now joining us live from Washington. Iris, tell us more about what makes the meeting significant and what they talked about. Good evening. This is a historic meeting as it made House Speaker Kevin McCarthy the highest-ranking U.S. official to meet with a Taiwanese president on U.S. soil in almost half a century. And it's also significant in that it marks an extremely rare bipartisan moment as members of both parties came together to talk to the Taiwanese president and voice support for Taiwan and democracy. Here's what Speaker McCarthy and Taiwanese President Tsai said after their meeting at the Ronald Reagan Library in California today. You know, the Republicans and Democrats united together in a place that symbolizes the freedom and the commitment and the bond that's only become stronger with the president with us today. In our efforts to protect our way of life, Taiwan is grateful to have the United States of America by our side. And this meeting is also very significant in that it comes as China is threatening to retaliate if McCarthy and Tsai do end up meeting, which they did. We know that China claims Taiwan is part of its own territory and has always opposed any interactions between U.S. and a democratically ruled island. But today the lawmakers say they're not going to bow to China's pressure. And here's Congressman Mike Gallagher, the chairman of the House Select Committee on China, speaking at a press conference afterwards. Some who failed to learn from decades of CCP behavior have been wringing their hands, wondering if we're being too provocative. But I would submit to you that if the duly elected leader of one of our most important Democratic partners can't meet with American leaders on American soil, they're merely feeding the crocodile that will eventually eat us. And regarding Speaker McCarthy will visit Taiwan as he did, as his, as his predecessor Nancy Pelosi did, McCarthy basically cited his response to my question at the White House in February, saying that China cannot tell him where to go at any time and any place. Steph. Thanks, Iris, for those updates. And always great to hear from you. A lot to unpack there. And earlier today, I spoke with retired U.S. Marine Colonel Grant Newsham for further insight into this topic. Newsham now serves as a senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy and also offers analyses on China and related geopolitical issues at the Epoch Times. Here's his analysis. 
Grant Newsham, welcome back. Thanks for coming on again. Oh, glad to be here. Thanks very much. Now, China has been issuing threats over today's meeting between Tsai Ing-wen and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, but they've just said it's a routine visit. What is the significance of this meeting at this time, do you think? Oh, it's a symbol that the United States government, or a good chunk of it, on both Republican and Democrat, uh, does see Taiwan as important, is trying to demonstrate their support for it. Uh, at the same time, you'll note that the uh, meeting is not plaking, taking place in Taiwan, uh, which suggests, once again, that the U.S. government is uh, concerned about what China might do, so it allows China to shape its behavior. Uh, the Chinese are not happy that it's taking place, of course, because it's taking place. Uh, the Taiwanese, well, they probably are glad it's happening and maybe are glad that the Americans didn't try to push something on them. So I presume there were some discussions made. And what do you expect to come from the meeting, if anything at all? Oh, not much. I don't think the, the relevant parties will uh, change their positions at all on this. China certainly is not going to. Uh, the U.S., it is showing signs that it is giving more support to Taiwan from a military perspective. And this is meeting today, uh, as last week's meeting, a very important political symbols as well. Now, China sent aircraft carriers near Taiwan ahead of today's meeting. Last year, they fired missiles in the island's direction after Pelosi's visit, which you called a dress rehearsal for war. How do you see the latest move? Is there anything about this visit that could trigger the real thing, do you think? Uh, I don't see this as triggering it. I think sending out the Chinese aircraft carrier is a, it's a, it's a clear symbol, clear uh, message. Uh, sent that China is serious about this, uh, but there's limits to what China can actually do. I don't think it's ready to go to war. And it wants to see the outcome of the January 2024 Taiwan presidential election. Uh, if their, their guy, the, the KMT candidate, wins, uh, then China might like the prospects for bringing Taiwan into the fold, however unwillingly, but without shooting. If the other side wins, the DPP, then China may take the gloves off and decide there's no choice uh, but to, to attack. Uh, if they, of course, have plenty of choices, uh, but they are an aggressive, expansionist, fascist, totalitarian dictatorship. There's nothing you can say uh, besides that. And that's how such regimes behave. Now, the U.S. is facing uncertain times in terms of the economy and political upheaval, especially now with Trump's indictment. How do you see America's readiness for potential kinetic warfare with China? Well, anytime you're distracted like this, when you have just political confusion, chaos in your own country, you're less able to focus on external threats. You know, period. Uh, additionally, there's a distraction caused by Ukraine, where we're emptying out the arsenals, both ours and other people's, uh, to support Ukraine. Uh, but that political distraction uh, that you just mentioned, that is something that very much goes into the Chinese Communist uh, calculations when deciding how to uh, deal with the United States, how aggressive to be, what to do, and certainly when they are thinking about what to do with Taiwan. And critics are decrying Trump's indictment as imperiling democracy, as well as the U.S.'s international standing as a champion of democracy. So do you think that this political climate could affect the authority with which the U.S. backs Taiwan? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Uh, I've been around a while. That's what happens if you live long enough. And we kind of look like a banana republic if we're not giving banana republics a bad name. Uh, I hate to say it, but this does very much 
uh, sort of weaken our sort of leadership, the sort of moral authority that we might have. And other countries, particularly our enemies, look at us and they say, well, we like what we're saying. Uh, when you Americans can't get your act together, when you're fighting each other, uh, more than you're, you're probably going to fight us. And one thing I'd like to mention about the American support for Taiwan. Uh, yes, there is Republican and Democratic support for it. We are doing more on the military front for it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you have situations like uh, the Federated States of Micronesia that a few weeks ago, uh, the president offered to switch recognition from uh, China to Taiwan. And that never happens. It's very rare. Uh, the American State Department doesn't seem to have jumped on this, nor has the Biden administration. There's been no mention of it. Uh, this would be potentially a, a real important thing to have happen, and we don't show any interest. And then for the last four years or so, America has watched the Solomon Islands, key st strategic geography, if there ever was, uh, in which there's a lot of American blood spilled some years ago to get it. Uh, you've seen it turn into a pro-China uh, sort of police state, and once again, Americans are doing nothing. Uh, the Asia Tsar, Kurt Campbell, apparently was just there. He didn't seem to be too worked up about it. Uh, so at some point, you, you kind of wonder exactly whose side are some of our people on. But that's an important thing to remember. All the attention on President Tsai's visit. Meanwhile, China is by a very adept and aggressive political warfare insinuating themselves into the heart of our defenses in the Pacific. Uh, so that should get more attention from the press uh, than it has gotten so far. Fascinating. Thank you so much. Grant Newsham, retired Marine Colonel and Senior Fellow at the Center for Security Policy. Thank you very much. International responses to the felony charges against former President Trump today. Mexico's president disagreeing with the charges. The Kremlin choosing to remain silent. What are U.S. lawmakers saying? NTD's Arlene Richards brings us the latest. The unprecedented and historic arrest of former President Trump has triggered some international responses. Today, Mexico's President Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador said he didn't agree with the charges. At a news conference, he said supposedly legal issues should not be used for electoral political purposes. But a Russian spokesman declined comment. We don't consider it right to interfere somehow in domestic United States affairs. NATO allies also didn't comment. Secretary of State Antony Blinken told reporters today, I don't do politics, and the proceedings in New York actually did not come up in my conversations with NATO colleagues. Meanwhile, U.S. intelligence is watching closely for potential election interference from Russia or China. Intelligence officials told NBC News they're looking out for increased efforts to stir up protests or disinformation campaigns. But in the U.S., GOP lawmakers argue that Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg doesn't have authority to file charges alleging federal election violations. Senator Mitt Romney, who isn't a fan of Trump, said in a statement that he believes the New York prosecutor has stretched to reach felony criminal charges in order to fit a political agenda. The indictment claims Trump disguised hush money payments as legal expenses and that he allegedly intended to suppress information that could have been damaging to his 2016 presidential campaign. Bragg said the payments were actually concealing a federal election crime. Chairman of the House Oversight Committee James Comer told Fox News he will continue to probe Bragg on these charges. 
I fully expect to see Alvin Bragg answering questions in front of Congress as soon as we can uh, make Good. it happen. Uh, this is unacceptable and we're not going to back down on this. Top Democrat lawmakers stayed away from commenting yesterday. House Democrat leader Hakeem Jeffries declined to comment on the indictment and told reporters they should follow the facts. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said in a statement before the indictment was unsealed that he believes Trump will have a fair trial. Trump called for Congress to defund the FBI and DOJ. In a Truth Social post, he said, Republicans in Congress should defund the DOJ and FBI until they come to their senses. He said Democrats had weaponized law enforcement. House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan made similar comments on Fox News Sunday. We control the power of the purse, and that's we're going to have to look at the appropriations process and limit funds going to some of these agencies. Arlene Richards, NTD News. And next, to offer his analysis, we hear from Epic Times editor-at-large, award-winning novelist and Oscar-nominated screenwriter Roger Simon. He sees Trump's indictment as a crunch point for the U.S. and potentially the world. Roger Simon, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. Now, concern is growing among critics of Trump's indictment that America could be turning into a banana state. But in a recent Epic Times article, you say that the indictment is a move towards something much bigger than a banana state. Could you elaborate yeah, well, on that? You know, well, you know, <laughs> to call the United States a banana state is a little bit harder. Una Republica Bananera in the uh, original. Uh, it is not because it's too big and powerful for that. What it is is an incipient communist state of a, a slightly different form than we're used to, but in very weird and ironic ways, similar to the People's Republic of China. And you say that the U.S. has been evolving towards this end for some time, pointing to censorship from the media and government as examples. What have you seen recently? One of them is where I'm, I'm here in Nashville. And as your viewers know, we've had a real disastrous, awful murder here in Nashville of uh, six people at a church, three of whom were nine-year-old children. Uh, the murder was perpetrated by a woman in her late 20s who decided she was transgendered and was a male and showed up at the and committed these murders in what one might call terrorist drag. I mean, she looked sort of like a, uh, a classical terrorist from the Middle East with a machine gun. I mean, that's what she looked like. In, and um, this was reported on as transgendered. And, and, of course, the manifesto that she wrote has been suppressed by the government and the FBI. But interestingly enough, the word transgender or transgendered was suppressed by CBS, a major network of our country, uh, for reasons they don't want to make clear, but I think are quite obvious. And that is that uh, the dissolution of the family has been a major intent of communism since the early days of the Bolshevik Revolution. It goes in and out because they realize it's very difficult to do. But if you, if you dissolve the family, then what does the individual have left but the state? So the state becomes your family, and then you're under the control of the state, and you're de facto in a communism. What do you see as the way forward for breaking out of this, what you've called brainwashing? Uh, this 
Not easy, but one way is the, the old-fashioned way, which is learn about it. Knowledge helps realize what's happening to you. I mean, I congratulate NTD for doing that. Apex Times does it. Others do it. But uh, the other way is to elect people who are awake to that. You know, Donald Trump, for all his pluses and minuses and, and excessive behavior, some would say, uh, he is certainly very aware of this and is working at it, so as as another political candidate, less known, Vivek Ramaswamy, very aware of it. Uh, others, too, are aware of it. So, you have, A, you have to elect people who are aware of it. You have to make known the feelings, and you have to talk to your friends and relatives about it. This is maybe the hardest part. It's easy to vote in a secret ballot, but it's hard to talk to people that you've known a long time who can uh, disappear on you, who can alienate you, who can ruin your life. I have to admit, we're in a dark passage in our history, in world history, because as America goes, so goes the world. Now, but when it's in the old cliche, it's always darkest before the dawn, and I think it's a, a cliche for a reason. We're at an interesting crunch point in our history, and a lot, just as the oppression is at its peak, where you can see, like, yesterday in Chicago, a mayor who was a... a they elected a mayor who wants essentially more of the violence in the streets that, that aids the beginning of communism, really. But on the other hand, more people are waking up, and that's the optimistic part, and it has to be encouraged, and it's up, up to all of us to participate. No matter who you are, you have to participate. All right. Thank you so much. Roger Simon, editor-at-large for the Epic Times, award-winning novelist and Oscar-nominated screenwriter. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Tornadoes continue to batter much of the central United States. At least five people were killed in Missouri when a tornado touched down earlier today. At least five people were killed in a tornado that touched down in Bollinger County in southeastern Missouri early on Wednesday. Teams of first responders combed through destroyed homes and businesses for more victims. State police said multiple people were injured but didn't have an exact number. Missouri Governor Mike Parson said in a tweet that he planned to visit the county. According to the National Weather Service, the tornado touched down in the area at about 3.30 a.m. local time. It was one of more than a dozen that were spotted in the Midwest overnight. At least two tornadoes were confirmed in Illinois on Tuesday. Strong thunderstorms swept through the Quad Cities area of Iowa and Illinois Tuesday, with winds up to 90 miles per hour and baseball-sized hail. No injuries were reported, but there was some damage to businesses and trees. The storm front swept across the Midwest and the southern United States on Wednesday. Some 24 million Americans were under the threat of possible tornadoes and severe thunderstorms throughout the day. And according to PowerOutage.us, some 75,000 homes and businesses in the Midwest, Arkansas, and Texas were without power as of midday on Wednesday. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And next, a North Carolina state representative is switching to the Republican Party after serving for about 10 years as a Democrat. Her move gives the Republicans veto-proof control in her state. NTD's Jason Perry finds out why she changed parties. Modern-day Democratic Party has become unrecognizable to me and to so many others throughout this state and this country. The party wants to villainize anyone who has free thought, 
At a North Carolina Republican Party press conference broadcast by WCNC, North Carolina State Representative Tricia Cotham announced she will no longer be a Democrat and has switched to the Republican Party. One of the absolute worst moments, which was a deal breaker, a turning point for me, was when I was criticized for using the American flag and the praying hands emoji on all my social media platforms. And she added this. To say that that is wrong and not to be able to show off a flag because the others hijack it for something else. Why are we at this place in politics? She said that needs to change, and change will now be a lot easier for Republicans in North Carolina. Cotham's switch to the Republican Party has given them a supermajority in the state house. That means Republicans will now be able to pass bills even without a signature from North Carolina's Democratic Governor Roy Cooper. And Cooper will no longer be able to veto any of their bills as well. But others aren't so supportive of Cotham's recent party change. House Minority Leader Robert Reeves said Representative Tricia Cotham campaigned as a Democrat and supporter of abortion, health care, public education, gun safety and civil rights. The appropriate action is for her to resign so that her constituents are fairly represented. Other politicians to recently switch political parties are Senator Kirsten Sinema and former Representative Tulsi Gabbard, who both left the Democratic Party and are now independents. And Liz Cheney, who lost her re-election, said she would leave the Republican Party if former President Donald Trump becomes the Republican nominee for president in 2024. Jason Perry, NTD News. Election results coming out of Wisconsin. A Democrat-backed candidate won the open seat for the Supreme Court, flipping the court to liberal control, while Republicans win a supermajority in the state Senate. According to preliminary results, Democrat-backed Judge Janet Protasewicz won the open seat election to the Wisconsin Supreme Court with 55.5% of the votes. Her victory flips the court in favor of Democrats by four to three. Republican-backed judges had a majority in the court for the past 15 years. Many observers consider this the most consequential election of the year. The new balance will be significant in future rulings involving abortion and election laws in Wisconsin. Also on Tuesday, Republicans won a special state Senate election, gaining a supermajority in the chamber. Wisconsin voters also approved three ballot measures that align with the GOP's agenda on cash bail and welfare benefits. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up... The Masters starts play tomorrow with fans wondering how Tiger Woods will fare now two years removed from his near-fatal car accident. Now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. The first major of the golf season is upon us as the Masters begins play tomorrow morning at Augusta National. Now, as expected, reigning champion and world number one Scotty Scheffler is a betting favorite to repeat, followed closely by Rory McIlroy. But what makes this tournament, as CBS calls it, a tradition unlike any other, 
goes beyond the players who play it and the green jacket given to the victor. If you ask most sports people and say, you know, what, what event is tied to the green jacket? I would say you're going to find a very high percentage. I mean, the branding is so powerful. James Ward, who's a senior editor for Golf Today, places Augusta National among the most prominent golf courses in the world, along with Pebble Beach in California and St. Andrews in Scotland, simply because of the prestigious event it hosts. It's a unique sports event. There is nothing like uh, a small town becoming the center point for every byline that will come out next week. It's the only major played at the same place every year. Among the traditions of the members, there's an annual dinner of champions that happens on every Tuesday night preceding the event. In addition, the fan-friendly tournament boasts what's believed to be the least expensive concession stand menu in all of sports by a long ways. Meanwhile, their TV provider, which has been CBS for nearly 70 years, is only permitted four minutes of commercials for every hour. But Ward warns that fans this year looking forward to seeing a healthier Tiger Woods relive some past glory may be in for disappointment. I don't see it ever happening again. I mean, I, I, if I'm wrong, then I'll be wrong. But 72 holes, walking, especially Augusta National with the hills, um, trying to get his body ready every single day. Woods has won this event five times before, but hasn't been himself since a car accident two years ago that nearly cost him his leg. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has eight games planned, including a rivalry battle in LA as the Lakers and Clippers clash with the two teams deadlocked in the standings and only three games left. And finally, for you hockey fans, slow night in the NHL, just three games, but that includes the Edmonton Oilers and star center Connor McDavid, whose 147 points are already the most by any player this century. They play at last place Anaheim. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, over to you. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.